Welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi, guys. Today, we have a really special guest coming from Phoenix, Arizona, Mr. Harding Easley. Now, this person is such an amazing entrepreneur. Wait till you hear his story. He's involved with real estate acquisitions, dispositions, some managed Wi-Fi, operational expenses, some capital stack raising. I'm going to let you hear what he has to share. Welcome to the show, Mr. Harding Easley. How are you? I'm great. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking time out of your day. So with my audience, please share your story from way back when, when you actually started getting into real estate and how did you transition? Well, you know, my story starts back as a W-2, like most people, and always wanted to have a side gig. I remember from early on, even before I was interested in, in real estate, I just had this fascination with always having something on the side because I've always been entrepreneurial minded. Uh, my mom tells me the story of how I tore up my amplifier with my electric guitar after, you know, when I was a kid and put all my school papers in there and pretended it was a briefcase and I was going to work as a businessman. So I think it was just in my mindset to always want to be a businessman. Uh, I want about 2000, I want to say in the mid 2000s, I was on a, um, on a business trip in Seattle. And I remember always seeing these gurus talking about, you know, real estate and it's the way to, you know, the path to success and millionaires all go through real estate. So just fascinating infomercials. From time to time, I may have caught myself buying something here and there, but I initially started out with notes and I had a, a great job, a nice six-figure W-2 income job in telecommunications, which is where my background is. And I was pretty satisfied, but I was always hungry to do something on the side. So notes was my first first love, did some transactions there. But um, I immediately fell in love with the idea of if I'm not working as a W-2, that I would love to have my own, you know, my own real estate business. So I didn't necessarily want to be an agent, wasn't all that excited about weekend warrior, putting up the signs, sitting in the house all day, had so many community activities. It was a little bit difficult to do that, but I'm still fascinated enough to take on the idea of, okay, Harding, you put in 16 years with this telecommunications company, and you've just been told there's an employee reduction. You moved back from Atlanta because you was running the East Coast to come back, and you had to switch into a division that you know typically would lay off. And uh, sure enough, about a year and a half later, they did. And uh, my name came up. And it was it was pretty devastating because you you realize you've had such a successful career in that field, and even though there were options to kind of come back after a little bit of a hiatus, I was like, you know what, I'm good. So I I started getting involved with the local guru and learning some of his you know strategies. And you know what, I said I'm going to go for it. So my first deal that I'd done uh, was, was a HUD home, and I don't know if your audience is familiar with how HUD home uh, op, you know operates and so forth in a flip situation. But I'll take them through a quick one. I'll try to do a quick one. So I, I basically went out and understood that the HUD program provided off you know off market deals to the extent that all of them had clear titles. Uh, you can go out there and look at them. You know they're clear, but you gotta you know you gotta put a bid in for them. You gotta win them. So once you find out what the threshold is. I begin to understand, okay, I'm winning if I go like 88% of the price, right? So I'd find the threshold and all of a sudden, bang, 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 I was winning. 
Now, the next step was now that you've won, what are you going to do? Are you going to accept the win and put down a thousand dollars earnest deposit or 500 if the property was under a certain dollar amount? Well, I took a thousand dollars earnest deposit, went out there and I realized I was going to wholesale this. And I realized you now have a legitimate deal going and you've got a thousand dollars on the line and you got about 45 days to find you a buyer because you don't intend to buy it flipping and so forth. So I got nervous after about two weeks. And uh, finally, I called the guru up who had a great buyer's list. And voila, uh, we were able to get a deal done. I split the deal with them, uh, made about 2,500 bucks or so. And I just never will forget the feeling of walking in to the title company with my briefcase <laughs> and my suit coat on, looking at all the other folks working out of their cubes and going, you know, I, I kind of like this. Yeah, I like this, <laughs> you know, going in and picking up my check. So it was from that point, mind you, I, I you know, I just, I just really buried myself into wanting to do it. Um, I had another business uh, in, in my marriage and, that we were working through and that was very successful as well. So true entrepreneurship uh, from that, from both businesses. And then, um, you know, things changed in my personal life and I went back into the W-2 role and I still had the itch. So this time I switched it up and that kind of threw me into where I'm at today. So I went to work for a company that did a lot of work with multifamily in that space. And I learned the business. I learned the, the network uh, that was out there. I learned the needs of these owners and operators of multifamily properties. And I started finding ways to connect dots. So uh, the bottom line was I went from single family wholesaling, which I still do, uh, and, and fix and flip you know, for cash flow purposes, but also to the big ones where you're looking at comprehensive real estate strategies for folks that can really add you know, some value to their bottom line and increase property value. So that's kind of where I am today. That's a long-winded answer, but that kind of brings you all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you said you're still wholesaling today. How many wholesales are you doing on an average a month or maybe a year? On a monthly basis, I think right, right around three or four. Um, just got rid of, yeah, about three or four months. Um, steady, uh, difficult, <laughs> very competitive, extremely competitive. Um, not the way it used to be. Trust me, not the way it used to be. It's especially in the Phoenix market. So and now you are also doing notes. So you 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 went into notes. You you did also wholesale. Which do you like better of the two? Oh, definitely wholesale. Yeah, definitely wholesale. Notes notes are they're good. They're fun as well. But they're so transactional, and it's really you know there really has to be a specific need to really want to cash in. Um, but I, I kind of like the wholesaling better because of the hunt, maybe too. Uh, the hunt's really hard, <laughs> but but once you land one, it's it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. Um, more so, also just getting to know the motivated sellers. You have some amazing stories. Uh, everything from you know, well, if you don't buy it, someone else will leave me alone. To I just got to get rid of this yesterday. Um, so there's just such a, a myriad of different reasons for motivated sellers from inheritance and so forth and so on, vacant properties, but they're always fascinating because they're a little bit more people oriented other than the cut and dry, you know, note business. Got it. Now, leaving your day job, uh, are you still having a regular day job or part-time job or is it all in real estate? All in, all in. Yeah. It, it, it's been a while coming. You get to a point also when you're in that W-2 position where 
you know, if you're a really honorable person, you can't really serve two masters. Once, once the business or the side gig is no longer a hobby and you're making, you know, you know, substantial enough money that you think you could come off of that scenario, it, it's, it's quite, it can be quite challenging in, in the back of your mind. Uh, but uh, a few home runs and you kind of like loosen up a little bit, <laughs> you know. But yeah. you got to keep your eye on the, you know, on the prize and you got to continuously prospect, prospect, prospect. Got it. And then lessons learned. What were some of the hardest lessons you learned in wholesale? Maybe notes or maybe even something you're doing now. What are some of the hardest lessons you've been learning? Wow. In wholesale, uh, you could lose a thousand dollars real quick if you don't have your buyer set up. <laughs> so you better have a plan. Um and you don't need 15, 16, 20, whatever buyers. Really, if you get a really nice niche of four or five decent buyers who trust you, you know what their buy box is, you know exactly what they're looking for, then it's a matter of the match game, um, just like anything else. But yeah, if you don't have, don't just go out there and willy-nilly win deals uh, or sign up agreements uh, and waste folks' time if you don't have some serious buyers set up. So there's a lot of argument between should you get your, you know, properties under contract first, or should you, you know, go out there and get your buyer's list? And I think you should juggle the duopoly of both, but, but just be sure that you don't put yourself in a position that you don't have a buyer in whatever that time frame may be 30 day cycle, you know, whatever the case may be. But, uh, but yeah, I, I lost a few dollars doing that, but uh, you know, obviously I came out on the, you, you'll come out on the good side, but you got to be able to swallow a few few losses. That'll wake you up real quick. <laughs> Everybody's just not giving a thousand dollars away every day, you know, but right, uh, right, right. today I think probably some of the, some of the biggest lessons I've learned is, is that uh, your network is your network. This is kind of a positive lesson. Um, understand the needs of, of your potential clients and, and your colleagues or folks that are in your network and, and look for gaps and opportunities. I think what I, didn't do before, I think when I got right into the multifamily space and tried to absorb and learn all the things that are going on in it, what I didn't do in the past is I, I didn't allow myself to listen to what the gaps and opportunities may be. And I, I shortchanged myself. And, and let me give you an example. Uh, I'll give you an example of a project I'm working on now. So I'm working on a big project of placing, placing some funds. Uh, for multifamily uh, investment. There's a sense of urgency for the buyer. And I have a relationship, my client is the commercial real estate broker. So in this scenario, my client will not only eventually share my findings with the buyer and hopefully go to LOI and so forth and so on in the closure, especially with the, a, a 1031 exchange sense of urgency going on here to get rid of this capital once these other assets have closed. The biggest thing that I learned right away is that I, I, I can't just bombard them with what I can, you know, all my goodies, right? I'm going to lead into this opportunity by placing the funds. And then that's my foot in the door. Now that we are here, Mr. Owner of, you know, thousand plus units in various properties, what gaps and opportunities lie to more efficiently and effectively 
move that NOI, that net operating income? What can I do to help impact that? What can I help do to reduce your expenses? What can I do to increase your net operating income? So the solutions and strategies that I bring about come through my network of partners and I'm able to articulate them, share them, be able to collaborate on their thoughts, and bring the best invitees to the table for them to make decisions on adding to their bottom line. And this doesn't just always mean something relative to ancillary revenue. It could be something along the strategies of cost segregation, where we're freeing up dollars that would normally go to you know, Uncle Sam and now being able to pull those dollars back into the cash flow of the business. Very important strategy, uh, tax credits, things of that nature. Um, you know, just finding joint private equity partners and not going through the hassle of competing because I know a guy, right? So it's kind of the Angie's list of real estate comprehensive investment strategies where, okay, this is, could be a good fit for you here. Why don't you take a look at this? Oh, I didn't know we could even do that. Yeah, yeah. That's something you could probably tap on. Well, I can monetize that? Absolutely. Um, what about saving costs on, 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 on HVAC and things like that? I know a guy, I know a service, proven, tested, and it has to be someone that I feel comfortable with. So I'm very choosy right now in terms of what we can do in, in, in the firm. Um, we will begin to scale in 2022. So there'll be some bigger, brighter things coming out. Um, and we're ramping up and rolling out for that and kind of excited about some of the opportunities that we have now. Now, your website has a lot of different uh, businesses and opportunities there. If somebody to, were to visit your website and they were looking for assistance, what would you probably say you, one of your biggest strengths or two or three strengths to help them? The network. The network is, is the biggest. Um, when, when you have talked for years on a consistent basis with owners and operators of multifamily, you begin to create a, a hub, if you will, because these folks need various services or various vendors or various uh, strategies out there that could benefit them. And because you know the decision maker, you being me, I know these decision makers. I know what they're looking for. I try to bring the best and brightest practices or, and strategies, you know, to them. And I make very sure that, uh, you know, it's the right fit for their needs. That's the first thing. Um, number two, if you're servicing that particular um, constituency and you would like to, you know, utilize it or maybe tap into it. You know, people buy from people. So, you know, I'm not the so-called God of comprehensive real estate strategies, tons of companies out there that do it. But at the end of the day, there, there's relationships. When I, when I introduce um, a situation, not only do I know the owner operator, I probably have him on my cell phone. I probably know his kids. I probably, you know, there's a little bit more of a relationship there. So that's what I mean by I'm very choosy about how I place fits. You know, can you do the job? Do you want to do the job? Are you a fit for the team? And that team is collectively um, being put together between myself and, and my client and, and the services being provided. That's awesome. Now, how do you protect yourself? Because there's a lot of people that know a lot of people. And sometimes this simple introduction, it, it's game over after that. I mean, I had a meeting earlier today, something like that. I didn't know this person from Adam. And all of a sudden, it was one of my, my uh, colleagues who introduced me. It could have been a major game changer if I said yes, right? Uh, so yeah. how do you protect your interests as maybe the consultant or connector, how do you protect your interests? 
Uh, you know, the fundamentals, NDAs, non-circumvents. Um, for instance, I gave you an example. Um, you know, my client and I typically always will have an agreement. <laughs> I mean, before we get into that, that real, you know, meat and potatoes of making that introduction, introducing and managing. And I don't want anybody to think that it's merely a, I know a guy, here's the name, contact, phone. No, because it's the Harding group and my name is Harding. There's a lot of equitable interest in making sure things go through. So I'm, I'm there hand-holding all the way through. I'm invested, uh, whether it's uh, you know monetary or whether it's uh, sweat equity, whatever I'm doing, I'm offering my services to make sure all parties are following the timelines meeting the requirements to see if we can bring something to fruition, obviously win-win for everybody. I'm glad you said that because I was hoping you would say NDA. Now for my audience that doesn't really even know what that means or what it stands for, please explain a little bit about the NDA to our audience. Yes, yeah, so a non-disclosure agreement or a mutual non-disclosure agreement just protects both parties. So if you're managing that process correctly and you're getting that paperwork done properly, uh, you're basically saying, Shh, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. And if you bring someone to me, uh, you're not going to go around. I mean, I'm not, you know, we're not going to go around each other and push the other person out uh, in order to have some monetary gain. So that's basically what it does. It protects everyone involved. And, uh, you know, basically when you, when you create that introduction, you obviously sometimes you want to do a little soft pass and, and you make sure, you know, they're not currently working with that particular um, person. And you, you can ask your client, have you worked with such and such? And they'll go, no. And that gives you kind of a, a reasonable um, um, conclusion. But yeah, you, you basically bring them together, protect yourself and make sure you have a non-circumvent uh, in, in place. Got it. Perfect. Thanks for explaining that. Now, back in the mid 2000s, when there was tranches being sold back and forth, uh, people would make other people sign these NDAs, but little did you know that all of a sudden it was like a daisy chain of people in between. Now I see you cringing a little bit. So I know you're, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You already yeah. see that happening or do you have any lessons to share with the audience? What we live in a capitalistic society. So let's, let's just be clear. Everybody's everybody wants to make money. I get it. But the daisy chains will drive you crazy. Uh, and it's really, everybody's out there hustling. I know a guy, I know a guy, I know a guy. And what I try to do is, you know, not all daisy chains are bad, but what, what really makes sense is to deal with the actual owner yourself because you don't control the deal when you're dealing with daisy chains. They are aware, they have some documents, they have some stuff they can pass around. Um, you know, they could probably jeopardize the situation to the point where it's off market, but it feels like it's on market because you see it everywhere. Um, you know, there's just so many factors that go into that. So what I realize that some of the barriers to entry in this space is to not be like everybody else in the daisy chain and say, oh, no, no, I know the guy. I know his kids. <laughs> you know, it, I just talked to him yesterday and he says, yeah, they're looking and, they're, and this is their buy box and your property fits it. Let's get on a call. So it's not the, well, I know some guy that I found off of some website that knows some guy that he found off some website. And before you know it, you see the same, you see the same properties go through the same hands. And you're like, 
this is crazy. So be very, very careful with daisy chains. My, my advice is you control the contract. You talk to the motivated seller. You talk to the owner of that multifamily property and you establish a relationship with them from the beginning so you don't just spin your wheels because this is basically a performance-based situation. And until you produce, they're going to cut you loose, right? So uh, you've got to be really, really on point with the idea of saying, I know the owner, I've been in direct contact with the seller, whatever the case may be, and not the middleman. It really bodes well to go directly with uh, controlling the asset through the ownership of the person selling or buying it. That's a great tip, Harding. And I'm sure probably from your wholesale experience, that's something you've, you've probably got a knack for because to even tie up uh, a contract, you know, you got to know how to talk to people and deal with people, correct? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's very important that you move yourself away from the situation and clearly listen. You know, listen, if you put all the letters in a different way, that means silence, right? So if, if you could kind of place yourself in their shoes, look through the lens of their eyes at what they're going through. It bodes so much better because now you're really doing something that you feel good about and helping someone that may be in a, in a very distressed situation and you're going to benefit from it. And because you're going to benefit from it and you see how heavy it is, you don't feel bad benefiting from it because you've taken something off of their plate that they really want to move. And that's move that asset uh, in a way for whatever that motivated or distressed situation may be will lend itself to making things better for them, yourself, and that particular other buyer, of course, who will actually acquire the property if you're wholesaling. So um, really listen to the needs of your motivated seller, and that will tend to, to move your motivation and inspiration to do the right thing, make the right decisions. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned a couple of home runs in your wholesale. Um, could you talk maybe in numbers, some of the big deals that you actually closed and uh, I mean, maybe enlighten the audience a little bit about what kind of opportunities are involved in wholesaling notes or whatever you're doing. In wholesaling, probably my biggest and most, uh, (laughs) it's probably, I mean, I'm not like the greatest guy at wholesaling, but I I think around 15.8, if I'm not mistaken, it was about 15.8. And it was kind of bizarre because it it was it was it was really bizarre actually. Um, I was told <laughs> I was told that um, they were probably going to go into foreclosure, and it was before it actually got into foreclosure or even notices of foreclosure. And I just kind of just kept saying, "I hope things turn around. Hope things turn around." But all in the in between time and in the meantime, setting myself up to be prepared to understand that market, understand the buyers in that market. So what I did was uh, once it became obvious <laughs> that it was going to probably go that direction, I started looking to find someone to take it off their hands. So given the amount of equity that was in the, in the property, I looked at um, you know what the very, the very least they would take. Obviously, they need to pay off the, the bank. And then what else would you like to put in your pocket? And, you know, huge discount, bottom line, because I don't go through every single detail, but the bottom line is it worked out to about a $15,800 wholesale scenario, but it didn't come because I was just out there being greedy and looking and it just really was conversation and really listening to the heartache that this person was going through financially and being able to 
be a blessing in their life and do something to support them and help them get out of it. And it was definitely a win-win. Uh, their credit's intact. They didn't declare bankruptcy, so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, to, to help them. So it's, it's deals like that that really make wholesaling fun. Uh, and you don't have to, you, you don't have to do anything. And I don't have to go out and look at the site and make sure that the project is on time, making sure that, you know, this fix and flip scenario is going to work out. And, oh, the market just did something crazy because something major happened in the country yesterday. And like, oh, my God, you know, and I, you know, how long can I have this vacant? You don't deal with some of the things you deal with in fix and flip, obviously. Uh, when you're doing a fix and flip, I like to use that $15,000 or more threshold kind of as a, yeah, it's worth it if I'm going to make about 15 grand or more. So I got lucky and bid it in a wholesale transaction. I thought that was kind of cool because that doesn't happen very often. That's great. And are, you said you're still doing wholesales now. Are you staying local or multiple different states? Nation, nationwide. So that's part of our initiative in 2022 where we have boots on the ground in about three different um, you know, three different cities. Um, we're, we're looking to now expand it to more of a virtual wholesaling scenario. I call it virtual wholesaling because, you know, you're not in those markets. So it's a little bit of an on-taking. Um, you know, you have to make sure you have good real estate agents in those markets. Uh, understand, you know, sometimes you can do some, some nifty things like how many cash purchases have been in this zip code where the subject property are. What's the average, um, you know, selling price for, you know, from investors buying into this particular uh, you know, sub-market or zip code. So you kind of know what the thresholds are in terms of, of marketable prices and comps and so forth. But yeah, you, you can still do it. I mean, uh, site not seen. You can never look at a home and still make money wholesaling. You're not, you could be not even in the actual state and, you know, and, and still sell and wholesaling. So it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Now, how about any favorite systems, software, apps? What do you like using on a regular basis? You know, there, there are some good ones on a regular basis. Uh, I use HubSpot. You know, obviously, I'm familiar with the sales force from Corporate America, W2. You know, I'm familiar with several CRMs, but HubSpot's really good. There's plenty of centric, real estate investor-centric uh, CRMs out there. But I like HubSpot. You know, I, I like where they've been in the industry. Um, and uh, also, in terms of data in my multifamily space, um, I, I, I often refer or recommend uh, Yardy Matrix, a little biased because I spent time there as a W-2, <clears throat> but, you know, great organization, great company, great data, great people. Um, and there's others out there that compete in the space as well. But this is a, an era in, in which I found myself is taking, you know, as an executive for over 15 years in the telecommunications space and then taking big data and bringing the two together. So that's kind of where you see some of the ancillary revenue uh, on the menu of, of services that I provide and managed Wi-Fi where multifamily um, owners can actually find some level of uh, ancillary revenue, you know, uh, bulking out their internet service and managed Wi-Fi services to their, their tenants and they're realizing some, some, some benefit there. So, you know, these things kind of bring me together whole, you know, full circle, you know, telecommunications, real estate, big data, you know, all of it kind of encompasses each other. Now, tell us about that managed Wi-Fi, because it was on your website. We talked a little bit briefly before we got started uh, earlier. Tell us what that means to our audience, this managed Wi-Fi regarding the multifamily and how do you fit in or how could maybe the audience fit in? Yeah, so in managed Wi-Fi, and depending on, you know, who's in your own 
audience, I mean, owner operators, you know, I would say to you, uh, if you can, you know, increase your rents by, you know, 20, $30, whatever you feel comfortable, depending on your market situation, just by adding an overlay uh, of managed Wi-Fi built into the rent, that's the easy scenario. Another value add is that these solutions bring fiber into their building. So when it comes time to sell, there's an added property value to that. Uh, so those are some of the whistles there. From a tenant experience, uh, they're not having to deal with, oh, okay, nothing against the other guys, the big guys, but they don't have to go through the phone tree loop of around and round and up and down. And you're going to get a, all the way to the desktop level of service and appreciation for what it is their needs are. Uh, they don't have to deal with the local folks uh, in terms of setting up their service and, and, and figuring out which one they want. It's already there. It's in the common area amenities. You can expand on it if you want to work from home, but you don't want to sit in the home and you want to go out in some other common area, you've got your Wi-Fi there. So there's some tenant-based things from an from a um, from a client of view, which again would be my owner operator. And I've shared some of those values and also from the tenant perspective. But the way management Wi-Fi works in any bucket is an ancillary revenue source with a tenant experience that is a step up. It also differentiates you typically from others, you know, in that particular, um, in that competitive space and, and gives you a reason to say, hey, well, you're, you're spending how much on internet? Oh, that's included in the rent, right? So those are things that you can kind of use as a value proposition uh, with some of the tenants and also give them that added experience. Uh, of, hey, don't worry about Wi-Fi, I have it in my building. Awesome. Well, Harding, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better, getting to share your words of wisdom, Anything else you wanted to share or a best way to reach you uh, for our audience? Yeah, yeah, please, by all means, go out to my, um, you know, the company website, thehardinggrp.com, uh, uh, group being abbreviated there, thehardinggroup.com. And, uh, you know, drop me a line, let me know. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you, do a needs analysis, kind of find those gaps and opportunities where I can help improve your real estate business. All right. Well, thank you again. And we, we wish you well. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Joe, so much. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you wanna learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on make it a comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Plex with a Plex, or make it a comeback. If you wanna get more tips, go ahead and go to joemendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Wanna add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life.
Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.